Blog Talk Radio. Jerry on here very shortly. Seton Hall coming off a loss 
to George Washington. But what we're learning also tonight and what we've learned thus far this season, this season is nothing like the last couple that we've seen in college basketball, the last two in particular. You do not have a dominant team at the top. And you don't have a couple of dominant teams at the top. That's not how it is. On any given night, anybody can beat anybody. And tonight, Kentucky's gone 5 for 18 from 3. They've shot 22 of 59 overall. More importantly, UCLA has out-rebounded Kentucky 36 to 34. How many times do you see Kentucky get out-rebounded? It just doesn't happen. But the center, Thomas Welsh, has had maybe the best game of his career. They said it on the ESPN telecast. Welsh, who last year averaged four points a game, comes in averaging 12. Tonight, he's lit it up. Ten rebounds. Has a great elbow J. And that's what Kentucky's missing, is somebody who can stretch the floor that can hit the jumper. I mean, it's almost as if, and they've gone five for 18. They've taken 18 threes, but they aren't, they aren't really nice shots. I mean, they, they aren't well-placed. And it's not what Kentucky wants to do. They want to pound it down low. Well, the makeup of UCLA, at least on paper, there's tons of talent. I mean, Steve Alford's got talent. He hasn't been able to get everybody on the same page. Well, tonight they've played that way, and UK is about to go down, and we are about to have another new number one. As UK, they lose. Maryland lost to North Carolina. So will we now see Michigan State step into that role? Let's get some reaction right away. You can call us too, 718-664-9391, 718-664-9391. And I now go to the phones. He is a great college basketball expert. He files an AP poll every single week and always is willing to talk about it with all his followers. And he is really a legend across New Jersey for college hoops coverage. He's done a tremendous job with it throughout his time. It's Jerry Carino of NJ Hoops Haven. Jerry, how are you tonight? Todd, I'm doing well. This is my time of year. In fact, my um, my wife is here, and she has she has a nice-looking friend of hers over, and they're on their second bottle of wine. And I'm in the other room with two cats and a laptop, writing Rutgers Seton Hall preview and keeping one eye on Kentucky and UCLA. <laughs> Oh, there's nothing better than this time of year, Jerry. It's almost like Kentucky tonight has taken 18 threes and UCLA up 81-71 with 90 seconds to go. It's actually surprising for me to see that Kentucky has pulled up for 18 threes because, like I said, they're now well-placed. And, Jerry, Steve Alford has completely taken away the perimeter tonight. Yeah, I mean, this is college basketball, you know. This is just what it is. Teams got to go across the country. Uh, young team, bunch of freshmen playing a true road game. And uh, UCLA's desperate. They've had a rocky start. Hey, that's what it's about. I, I heard you mention, you know, who's going to be number one. Uh, probably, I mean, I guess Michigan State will be, but I think Carolina's the best team. I mean, with, you know, what you saw against Maryland, their ability to score, the balance, uh, the veteran nature of the team, and, you know, with Marcus Page coming back. Again, there's no dominant team, like you said, and it makes the season fun. But in my mind, Carolina is the best team. They have the best chance of winning the championship. And I probably will put them one on on, uh, on Sunday's ballot. You know, no no offense to Michigan State, but I, I think healthy, fully healthy, Carolina is the team to beat. And I'm not surprised that Kentucky lost. I mean, they're they're extremely talented, but they're a bunch of freshmen, and people forget that. You're, you're not always going to get all these freshmen to come in and, and click right away or, 
maybe even through the course of a season. I mean, that's an art that's hard to do. So um, I'm, I'm liking uh, Carolina, but Michigan State has been awfully impressive, and they might, you know, they have one of the two best players in the country, uh, Denzel Valentine, him and him and Chris Dunn. Jerry Carino is our guest from NJ Hoop Saving, and he's got coverage all across Seton Hall and Rutgers, and you can follow him on Twitter at NJ Hoop Saving. Let's stay with this discussion, though. Jerry, I know they lost, but you know what? I loved watching Mellow Trimble and the fight that Maryland did put up in Raleigh because the, that game might have been the most entertaining that I've seen this season. I think Maryland's a top-five team, too. Jerry, do you agree? No question. No, I, I have them in the Final Four right now. Of course, none of us have seen a bracket, so we don't really know. But they're a Final Four team. I mean, they have tremendous firepower, um, and it's just they have some. You know, they have some new pieces they're introducing. Uh, so it takes time. You know, they're going to be a team that's much better later than they are now. They're definitely a national championship contender. And Trimble's terrific, and and the, the pieces are all there. It's just there's new parts. When there's new parts, it's going to take time to adjust. But, yes, I like them a lot, and it was impressive. It was a very good, entertaining basketball game. Jerry Carino is our guest from NJ Hoop Saving. We are about 10 minutes into the show. And number one, Kentucky about to go down. I don't think it's fair. Like you said, I mean, number one, that that could be changing hands quite a bit this season. Jerry, who else? really impresses you thus far this season. I actually will go with the two teams that face off Monday night in Hawaii. That's Villanova and Oklahoma. Wow, experience reigns. They've welcomed in new talent and two really well-coached teams. Remember, we saw Oklahoma, John, two years ago uh, when they played Seton Hall in the Barclays Center. And I think those kids, they were all freshmen then, you know, young players. I try not to remember that. Yeah, they had a wild comeback in the last two minutes to knock off Steve Hall. And, uh, and, you know, I thought right then, gosh, these guys are young. I mean, they're going to be so good. And they have, they just had that ability, that natural ability was coming out in spurts and fits and starts, and now they're older. So they're really good. Uh, but I just have a feeling it's Villanova's year. It's just all, all the tough breaks and disappointments in March the last couple of years, it's, it seems like it's time again. You know, they just, they have all the pieces, uh, the leadership, the ability to shoot, uh, the, the you know the balance in that three-headed backcourt, a terrific you know post presence. Uh, so I, you know, just, it might be their year. I mean, th- they feel like a Final Four team, and I do think they can win the national championship. I don't see any reason why they can't uh, you know be one of those teams in the handful of teams that can win it. Uh, so definitely, definitely impressed with them. Uh, you know, like really like what I've seen out of uh, out of Cincinnati. Very tough, tough physical team that can always that can score more this year. Um, Louisville looks good, much better than people thought. I mean, people are focused on the scandal in the off season, understandably so. But that team is very good. Uh, there's probably there's probably you know eight or ten teams that can make a legitimate national title claim. I don't know when we've when we've seen that before. Uh, you know, we we talked to Big East a lot, and how good has Xavier been? I mean, they just they just clobbered Dayton in that tournament uh, final. So that was unbelievably impressive by 30 points. And Dayton's a good team. So this is, you know, the Big East is better than people thought. I mean, you and I knew they'd be pretty good at the top, but it's better than people thought. Uh, you know, the Big Ten's very good. The balance is great. It's going to make for a fun season. I mean, December's a month where um, things will slow down a little bit. November's always crazy in college hoops. December is the cupcake portion of the schedule for a lot of teams. There'll be some rivalry games, a lot of cupcake games. 
And then in January, we'll really we'll get a better idea once the conference wars start. But it's been fun so far. Jerry Carino is our guest from NJ Hoops Haven. And, Jerry, I got it from the Seton Hall end this afternoon. I know that you've talked to both teams as you're getting ready as well for the Pirates and the Scarlet Knights. Now let's get to let's get down to business here for this meeting on Saturday. And you put it so well when you were going back through the history books and looking at this rivalry. There is a lot of rich history with it, with finishes, with the way these two teams have fought. Seton Hall does lead the series 37-29. to Jerry, do you think that Saturday's matchup could be able to deliver another exciting finish? I wish I could tell you that it will. I don't see it, John. In light, in, in light of the, today's news that Deshaun Freeman's going to miss the game, um, you know he has uh, he has a sore knee. I, I don't know what that means, but he's going to miss the game. He's going to be out for a week or two. Uh, that just kill. I mean, Rutgers was going to be an underdog to begin with. They are home, but you know he's he's Rutgers' best player. Um, Corey Sanders is the most talented guy and eventually will be their best player. But at the moment, Sean Freeman is their best player. I mean, the only matchup that they had against Seton Hall at power forward. Uh, it's not a knock on Seton Hall's power forward to play well, but Freeman had the edge there and maybe a significant edge if Ishtonago is unable to go because of his dislocated shoulder. But without Freeman, I just can't see Rutgers winning. I mean, anything could happen, I guess, at home, but it's going to be awfully hard. So I don't know. I think this is a double-digit game, and I never think that going into Rutgers Seton Hall. But I just don't see, I don't see Rutgers having the firepower to hang with Seton Hall, given that they're short-handed. And they've been, very, you know, Rutgers' performance has been very uneven. They've had good stretches. They haven't really put together a good game, uh, you know, against a decent opponent. They've had real bad stretches. So um, Seton Hall's put together two good games. So I, I have to give a serious edge to Seton Hall. Now, that said. Crazy things happen in this rivalry. You just don't know. Somebody gets dejected or in foul trouble or just gets frazzled for whatever reason. Things could change. But you have to think this is a game where Seton Hall sort of writes the ship. Uh, and what what high things will happen, what villain will emerge, I mean, that's going to be the fun part. But at the long paper, this is a 10-point win for Seton Hall, at least it looks like. Jerry Carino is our guest. Jerry, will Isaiah Whitehead emerge as a good point guard in the Big East? Because right now it seems that he's still really trying to find that role. Yeah, in the preseason, you know, we, there was a lot of talk. We, we we talked to Kevin Willard about, is Isaiah ready? Is he ready? Is he ready? And I think what Kevin tried to say in so many words was, no, you know, he's not ready because it takes time to become a, a playmaking point guard. Uh, it's You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It took – it took Jordan Theodore, uh, you know, till his senior year um, to go into go into that role. It took it took the staff a couple of years with Sterling Gibbs, you know, two full years with Sterling Gibbs to make him into a player who whose assist to turnover ratio became very very good. So it doesn't happen overnight. He has Isaiah Boyette has the tools to be a terrific point guard. The court vision, the athleticism, the the passing uh, savvy, the ability to break down a defender. He's a streak shooter, but he can shoot. Um, so he has all those tools, but I think he just has to put it together, and nothing will substitute time. You know, he, John Isaiah comes out of a high school system that was really not a system. It was just a bunch of guys playing basketball. Uh, he has to learn how to run a team. You know, it's different than in high school when guys are just running up and down the court. So uh, it's going to take time. And, you know, the real question will be in January and February, is Isaiah – 
become a point guard because right now it's just a work in progress. Kevin warned us in the preseason. Jerry, is it not ironic here, before we turn to the Scarlet Knights, back to them, as they'll be missing Deshaun Freeman on Saturday, who one of their most talented players, if not their most talented player, uh, as you just said. But is it not ironic that <laughs> we went into this season saying, Isaiah Whitehead and Angel Delgado, it's on their shoulders. Well, the Hall is getting contributions from outside of them. It's actually those two that I think teams have found out about now and are really going after. Yeah, so it's a great point, John. Uh, the, the pleasant surprise of Seton Hall has been the production of their role players, uh, who, who many of whom seem to have gotten better. Um, you know, the issue with the two stars is I think there are different issues there, but um, but the the main thing is that they get getting a lot of defensive attention. I mean, you saw what GW did, how they tilted the floor against Isaiah with the zone and the, tra- the half-court trap. Uh, it's going to be a blueprint, I think, for other teams against him, and that's just what, that's part of having the bullseye on your back, you know. So uh, it hurts him that there's no other shooter on the team. You know, uh, Veer Singh, I think, could be that guy, but he's not there yet. But it, it, it really hurts Isaiah. Teams don't have to respect um, other other Seton Hall players from beyond the arc, so they can really tilt the floor against him. So I think that's what he's dealing with, in addition to learning how to be a playmaker. And, uh, you know, the other thing you've seen from a lot of teams is just, is just the constant double-teaming and clogging of the lane against, against Delgado, um, who, you know, he's off to a slow start. I mean, he, he's admitted it. You know, Kevin's admitted it. Uh, and just pointed it out. You know, as I said, admitted Kevin Wood has pointed out that he needs more from this guy in the middle. So is he having a little sophomore slump, perhaps? But, yeah, so without those two guys maybe – Firing on all cylinders, uh, you have some nice role players who develop, which is a good sign, and that's your hope that you hope that this has a chance to be a really complete team um, because of those role players. And if things click, then you know this this group could really get on a roll later in the season. But yes, the the power forward, the the platoon of power forward, uh, Enzi and uh, Sonago has been very very nice surprise. Too much improved players, and uh, Kadeem Carrington's gotten better. Uh, you become a more complete player. So there is – certainly there's some progress there. Can they put it all together? I mean, it's a team of five sophomore starters. We'll have to see. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Jerry Carino is our guest from NJ Hoop saving Rutgers. Three and four, Jerry. They come into this matchup, and you know what? They should have had that game against Wake Forest. They gave one away. They could not execute down the stretch. Do you contribute that to freshman guard Corey Sanders, a team that's young? Yeah, I guess I, they are. They are. There's a lot of new parts. You have a freshman point guard. Uh, you have freshmen in key roles. So they just, you know, they're going to have to learn how to win. But the thing is, John, is you know, it doesn't always happen. Like teams don't always learn how to win. It's not. It's a process that doesn't always get filled. So I think it's going to be incumbent on Rutgers staff to to, you know, use the teachable moments. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, you know, I didn't like what I saw from uh, from Rutgers in their game against Central Arkansas uh, in the way, just the way they, the, their, just their intensity and the way they defended or didn't defend. Uh, but afterwards, I didn't, you know, that's not kind of what I got out of the staff. The staff was, you know, who knows what they said privately, but they didn't seem to be too worried about it so publicly. So, to me, it's you got to use those teachable moments to teach these guys even when they win games. Like, I don't think, John, I think one of the big misnomers in college sports is a win is a win. I, I think that's not true at all. Um, to me, it's 
it's, I'm not talking about style points, but you have to learn. If you escape from a game and get a W, but you're, you're sloppy, you don't play up the snuff, like young guys have to learn that if you, if you pull that act against a better team, you're going to lose. And there are times when a team goes in on the road to a hostile environment and loses a game, but can gain something out of it by, by being tough and learning how to cope. So college basketball is weird like that. There's a lot of games, and you can, you can gain from a loss, and you can, you can lose something from a win. And so, you know, will Rutgers learn from those teachable moments? I think that applies to Seton Hall, too, you know, because it's a young team. So will these guys learn from that? We'll see. But there's definitely a youth element that has problems closing out games, and we've seen that twice, two second-half collapses from Rutgers. Jerry, I'm guessing, and, and I'll follow through with this and, and say uh, this is another year where Rutgers will be uh, obviously uh, sitting at home in March, uh, Not certainly not an NCAA tournament team, not an NIT team in my mind. Uh, Seton Hall, through seven games, they followed my expectations. Have they followed yours? What are you waiting for? Yeah, I had I had them 5-2 at this point. I had them 9-3 in, in the non-conference. Uh, three losses. I had uh, Wichita as a loss. I had either GW or Georgia as a loss, and I had uh, one loss in the tournament. So, I mean, I think they're on schedule. Here's my thing about Seton Hall. If, you, if, if your goal for Seton Hall is to make the NCAA tournament, my, my mind, in my mind they're an NIT team, and they have been since the beginning. But if your goal is for Seton Hall to make the NCAA they need to make a leap in terms of sharing the ball. Now, that takes time. It's a young team. We've talked about the point guard maturation process. But if they're going to make the NCAA tournament this year, if that's the goal, John, these guys, they can, these guys have to bring up their assist ratio. They have to make the extra pass. They have to space better. They have to run a better offense. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're a bad shooting team, then you shouldn't take 23-point shots because that's the reason the defense is giving that to you. So you've got to find a way to get a better percentage look. And I think to me that you're not going to be, you know, if a team's slowing you down and you can't get to the open court like maybe they did against Georgia, then you have to – move the ball better in a half court. So I think that's the that's the weakness that this team has to improve on. And they may. I mean, they're young and there's a lot of – it's early. But uh, as far as my expectations, they're, they're right where I thought they would be. They're the team I thought they would be, a good team with potential, not a great team, an NIT team, not an NCAA team. And to me, that's fine. But people who have higher expectations, they're going to have to uh, – in order to meet those, they're going to have to just improve those areas they discussed. Jerry Carino is our guest, and Jerry, rarely in game notes do I see four or five notes in, which isn't that far in for a team. Do I see bench presence, but not bench scoring? No, it's the dancing that's happening on the Monmouth bench. How can you explain this start by King Rice's Hawks? Yeah, I mean, I you know, my colleague Josh Newman is the uh, is the Monmouth guru, but. That team, I mean, that's that's fun. That's what it's all about, you know. Hey, John, there is no there is no mammoth in college football, right? This is why college basketball is great. I mean, this is you know pro sports. They're all pro teams. I mean, there's no there's no little guy to jump in and, and mess things up. So mammoth's doing that now. Mammoth has a lot of talent. I mean, they've assembled a lot of talent there. This Justin Robinson is a fantastic guard. I mean, he can play almost anywhere. Um, you know, I saw him last year. Uh, he he was terrific. So. Yeah, it's fun, and the bench mob's fun. They're hamming it up for the cameras, but, I mean, that's what it's about. You know, let them enjoy their moment. Uh, so they've done a nice job assembling talent. Monmouth has talent, and they have guard talent, which makes such a big difference, you know. 
So it's been great. I didn't think they'd be as good. I don't even think Josh thought they'd be doing this, this type of stuff. So it's going to make the Mac a lot of fun. I mean, Iona is so good. You know, AJ English is so good. And those games are going to be – they're now going to be must-see events for all of us. In the, if you cover college basketball in the, in the metropolitan area, and maybe even the Northeast, like you, you have to put Iona Mammoth on your calendar. So that's a great testament to what Mammoth's done, right? Isn't that what, why we do this sport, why we love this sport? Because you don't know – stuff like this can happen. You said it. I mean, I think that Monmouth from the mid-major level, from the major level, Xavier and what they have done between Xavier and Purdue, two teams I'm extremely impressed with. Mr. Hammonds over with the Boilermakers, the junior center, Jerry. He looks like Andre Drummond down low right now. Man is absolutely going off in the paint. Purdue is going to cause some issues. Yeah, we'll see them, I guess, in the, when they come to the Rutgers. But he, he's, you know, that that was a team last year. Everyone went in. This is, again, this is a great object lesson for a Seton Hall or a Rutgers. Purdue went into last season, last season, 2014-15, with very low expectations, bottom quarter of the Big Ten. You know, they, they wound up with a terrific season. Surprise story. And then with a lot of guys back, and if you have a big man, hey, it's so hard to have an impact big man at that level. And if you have a player like that, it makes all the difference in the world. You know, I'm doing earlier this week, John, I did a, I did a top 10 Jersey college basketball teams ever. And uh, Seton Hall was, you know, factored in there quite a bit. And if you look at those Seton Hall teams, I mean, they had big men. I mean, that 89 team had, you know, their front line was you know, Ramon Ramos, who who played, you know, was, was in the NBA before he got into a car accident Andrew Gaze, who was an all-time great international basketball player. Anthony Avent, who played several years in the NBA. Um, you know, that's Those big men make a difference. Purdue has one of those guys. So, I mean, Seton Hall has not had a guy like that in a long time, which is what I think the hope is that Angel Delgado can become. But you see what a difference it makes with a, with a guy like Hammonds. No doubt about it. Jerry, I know you commented it briefly on Twitter. That's going to be tough, uh, to be honest with you. Not seeing Jim Beheim versus John Thompson III in Georgetown, Syracuse, which should be a really good game on Saturday. Uh, what went wrong here with the NCAA? Well, I, I mean, I I can't defend Syracuse. I mean, I, I, I read that whole report last year. So, uh, you know, it was bad what was going on, the, the academic fraud that was taking place. So I, I'm not going to. You're not going to get tears from me, John, about that, you know? At some point, I guess the NCAA's that. processing of it, it just shows inconsistencies. That's my only thing here. Again, Jerry, they, there's just, where's the protocol? Well, the protocol is that the, that the, and this is, you know, you won't hear this opinion everywhere, John. The protocol is, yeah, in it. my opinion, in my opinion, the, hot, the, the, the power programs in the country, and not just talking about basketball, talking about overall athletics, they've, they've systematically, I think, defanged the NCAA. I mean, they, you know, the NCAA enforcement division is terrible because it's been it's been defanged and, you know, the, the, the schools that are in charge want it to be terrible. I mean, they, they threaten to pick up their ball and go home a number of numerous times and leave the NCAA. So, I mean, this is – the NCAA enforcement division is a mess because it's a monster that's been created by the schools. So, I mean, of course they're going to be inconsistent. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to defend their process, but they are what they are because the schools the schools don't want a strong regulator. The, they want to. A lot of these big schools want to get away with their nonsense, and so I'm not going to feel sorry for a Syracuse or an SMU when they get caught red-handed. 
you know, doing with their improprieties, and those coaches deserve the punishment they get. So, you know, not you know, again, national media will go crazy because they have relationships with these guys. But from where I stand, uh, I'm not going to be sad about it. I, I wish the NCAA was more consistent, but they're a product of the environment created by their members. Rapid fire here. Our conversation seems to always fly by because now we only have two minutes left on the show. Number one, rapid fire. You supportive, unsupportive, I'm going to guess I know your answer here, of an Ivy League tournament? Uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I know I, 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 I would love to see it selfish. I'd love to see Princeton, you know, someone who covers them, watch, that, watch them play in that a little bit. There was a certain purity to having, sending your best team every year to the tournament, the big dance, and not some team that happened to get hot uh, for, for, for a weekend but isn't really that good. So that's why the Ivy League picked off a lot of teams in the dance over the years. They always sent their best team. I'm torn, John. I don't know yet. Ask me at the end of the season, I guess. we got 60 seconds. Give Seton Hall and Rutgers fans one good reason why they should be at the rack Saturday. Okay, so one good reason because uh, these are freshman and sophomore-driven teams who are going to establish uh, their own version of the rivalry. It's a blank slate right now. The shenanigans of the past the, with the Herb Popes and the, the, the Marcus Toniel, those, those, those days are over. It's a new era of young faces for both schools, and they're going to establish their own rivalry. And you want to see that you know, sort of being birthed now at, at the beginning? Be there on Saturday. And who knows what will happen when these teams get together and maybe setting a nice new chapter in this crazy rivalry. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm sure your preview will be dropping tomorrow. Everybody will be reading it. The stage is set, partner. Who knows what will happen for the Garden State Hardwood Classic on Saturday. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Anytime, John. Always up for late night hoops talk with you. Jerry Carino of NJ Hoops Haven. You can follow him at NJ Hoops Haven. I'm John Fanta for College Hoops Digest Radio. Stay tuned to my Twitter at John underscore Fanta all weekend for updates. Tomorrow we are at Columbia. The Lions will welcome in St. Joe's and DeAndre Bembry. Tip-off at 7. Josh Adams is down in Florida this weekend with coverage of Miami. The U, that's right, collegehoopsdigest.com. That's it for the podcast. Have a good rest of your Thursday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Good night, everybody.